Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Hey, I'm Darren Hayes and you're on Joy, Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station. Hello and welcome to Being There Done That on Joy 94.9. It's great to be with you on this evening after Anzac Day. Oh, some old soldiers are a bit worse for wear tonight, but we are okay ourselves, aren't we, Gordon? Oh, we are, yes. This old soldier is a bit worse for wear anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> and Phil's are right too, but he's not a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> I was never a soldier, but anyhow, yeah. Thanks for listening to Being There, Done That on Joy 94.9. Our program is all about history, gay history, history of famous people, icons and dicons, and other various permutations of the binary. And the non-binary. And the non-binary, in fact. Thanks, Phil. Yes. Uh, today's program, yes, will be reflecting upon Anzac Day, the reason why we celebrate it, and I'm wondering there's lots of question marks there in my voice because is it a celebration um no it's, it's yeah it, well we'll come across that it's actually remembrance it is rather, remembrance rather than it's a, not celebration. a celebration it's a remembrance yeah. day mm. and we'll, we'll talk about that in a couple of little minuets time we'll be talking about the australian defense forces and the change in attitude over the years and the more more recent years accepting diversity in the ranks and that is something that's uh, actually been rolling on now for... It's a, it's a time immemorial subject, really. Well, it is, it <laughs> yes, is. But yes. acceptance and recognition... Uh, it did, did happen in 1992, yes. Yes. One of the things that happens in war is trauma. And we're going to discuss trauma not only in the setting of war, but in general. And what people can do about it and what people are currently doing about it. Staring it in the face and knocking it down. The main trick is to actually talk about it. Hmm. It certainly can be. We'll talk about that a little later in the show. And we'll also mention that in 1999, there was a bombing of a gay pub in London. And we need to just remind ourselves that our community is not immune to having suffered at the arms of terrorists of one sort or another as we just learnt recently with that French soldier in Paris he turned he was, out to be he was a gay man he was a gay man yeah, gay man indeed yeah, yeah, had a and partner. he was sitting in his Disney van mm. and yeah stray bullet or directly we don't know but he was shot so our community is part of the general community and we cop it like the rest of it however Anzac Day 
Yes, the uh, a, a remembrance of a, a huge disaster. Actually, it was never a victory of any sort. A horrible defeat. A horrible defeat. Yes, but I can't remember. I can never work out why we celebrate or remember such a, a thing the way we do. Well, it was a huge slap in the face, and it wasn't actually intended to be that way. Oh, it was going to be. The, it was all. It was remote control wartime well, from. London? Well, London, the war office in London were controlling everything by um, signals from head office to the ships and things that were um, out in the um, sea in the Mediterranean there. It was just an absolute disaster from beginning to end because the Turks had everything all set up on the cliffs and uh, they could just pick off everybody they wanted to. But but the other thing was that our guys landed at the wrong spot. Yeah, because they were told to by the idiots that were working out of the war office. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't have GPS. They didn't have any of the modern techniques of actually being out of night glasses to be able to see in the dark. But to they actually didn't think. need that. All they needed was the grids and everything from the um, longitude and latitude, which they'd always used for sailing and all the rest of it. Sailors would have known where to go if they had been given the right latitude and longitude. So many minutes this side of blah, blah, blah and all the rest of it. It's easy to work out if you're, if you're in the Navy. But uh, our guys, instead of landing on a flat beach landed at the foot of cliffs. Yeah, and had to try to work their way up it, which was an absolute mess. And there were 750 people out of the first 1,500 didn't survive that initial onslaught. Is there any military condition where you can look up and see that it's horribly wrong? I'm not saying desert, but just get out of there and plan something else. Well, they did after a certain amount of time. They realised that they were never going to get anywhere, so then they had the, to, the mm. they had to evacuate all the people off the beach it's just and storm to get in them there. back into the into the into the uh, boats because the Turks were still firing from the top of the cliffs, and you know they they killed a few Turks, but not a lot. Yeah, because mm. somebody really should have been able to see this isn't going to work. Mm. Let's well, get out. Let's do something tomorrow. Yeah, well, after six months of stalemate of the Anzacs finding that they couldn't move forward, we withdrew from that particular part of the peninsula, leaving about 8,700 dead. Mm. Mm. There's got to be a better way of, of planning a battle. But it can't take you six months to figure out you're not going to win. The, the British commanders-in-chief were still thinking back to the old days of the way the wars were fought, like in the First World War, and how they, how they were fought. You know, like if you and remember what, the First World War, they just sent the troops over the, out of the trenches straight into the, uh, over the barbed wire, uh, uh, into, into the machine guns. Yeah. You know, they didn't know how to fight. It wasn't until John Monash came on the scene that they did it. John Monash? Sir John Monash, the Melbourne man, who was the man, the last man knighted on the battlefield by King George V, and he was the man that finally won the war for them in the, the 1918 war, 1914-18 war. He was given command of his troops and the Australians then went, right, we'll go this way. And that's, that's how they won the First World War. But it's just one of those things that go down in history and are very seldom mentioned. But anyhow, we're getting back to Anzac Cove. It was a disaster. It certainly was. And did they just have to blindly follow orders? Yes, that's Even right. though they well, were being shot? Yeah, this is right. Yeah, well, this is, this, is what, this is what war is, isn't it's it? It's what they call military intelligence. Yes, that's right. They do an oxymoron there. <laughs> it certainly is. But it's great to actually recognise now the sacrifice that they made, oh, yes. those soldiers made. They they shouldn't have been there in the first place. They shouldn't have been there in the first place. This is the, 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 point, the, the sacrifice. Yeah. And, and what happened in Australia was so many country towns and villages and 
farming communities sent all their able men, Creswick. generations of. Creswick was one of them. From Creswick, outside of Ballarat, they lost just about every able-bodied man in that district. And they did say that um, because of that, Creswick never recovered and became a, a town like could have been as big as Ballarat. Just wanted, But that happened in many, many little country towns all, all throughout Australia. Mm. And the mere fact that when you go through some of these towns, you actually see war memorials mm. and you wonder why and why. But it's to, to recognise the contribution of the local communities there and every community in the in the state in Australia contributed one way or another. They, they had the First World War one and then they would add the Second World War people to the First yeah. World War memorial. Memorial. If they didn't have any more room, they would have. They built another one. But think how lucky we are, even without all that sacrifice. We've got towns missing men. There are missing towns in oh, Europe. In Europe, yeah. they just don't exist anymore. Yeah, well, they've been some blown of off the planet. So where we seem to have this penchant to enter any conflict. But we haven't really had one here. We have been fortunate so far because we're so far away from anywhere else. Yes, uh, the but tyranny uh, of distance. The tyranny of distance helps in a hell of a lot of ways. Mm. It mightn't for much longer of Mr. Oh, Mr. Oh, Mr. North Mr. Korea. I, I saw a lovely, talk about North Korea, I saw a, a lovely cartoon. Mm. Was it, it him? No, it was similar to, it was a bloke said, oh, I've just been to North Korea and I've come back with this lovely haircut. <laughs> <laughs> It was so funny. No, well, I saw another cartoon with with the, the beloved leader, and coming out of his mouth was the big dummy, and oh. was spitting it. Oh no, no, this, this was this was somebody that had gone up there as a as a tourist and come back with a beauty haircut. <laughs> Apparently, in, I read somewhere in history there is, there were seven days in all recorded history where there was no fighting. In all recorded history, yeah. there was just no record of fighting in well, that period. In technically, the Korean War is it still going, or yeah. is it only recently finished? The With papers North- actually haven't been signed. No. Well, so, I guess you can't sign when they're holding their breath and yeah, spitting dummies at that's you. That's right. Yeah. But anyhow, it's a huge remembrance for the people. But it, it's now because I. I have a feeling I've read where the last um, Anzac had actually passed away so that there are no more actual uh, members Diggers. of that corps that, that was sent there who are left alive. And why were they called diggers? Because they had to dig in. They had to dig their trenches. That's right. Yeah, that was from the First World War. They dig the trenches, yeah. yeah. And but, the latrines. And the latrines, yes. I've, I've watched MASH. <laughs> I know all there is to do with war. You're getting back to the Korean War again. <laughs> But it's uh, it's interesting when you read some of the history of what happened in Turkey and Anzac Cove. There was a I read a lovely book written by an Australian chap uh, about it and uh, how that they had planes that they could fly over to see what was going on, and it um, it didn't. Well, that's right, and yeah. that was see. The younger generation, and I don't want to sound old and dismissive of the younger generation, but a lot of things have started as a result or created or invented as a result of a war situation. And flying machines were interesting, and they thought, oh, perhaps we can throw bombs from them. So a bomber was born, but there was other things that the planes could do that they now put into good use. they would hang, they would drop handheld bombs down. Exactly. You know, and they had, but they had to see the people, so they had to fly low enough, so they were always being shot at. You yeah. know, it was just, 
it was just an amazing thing. But uh, of course, from that, they realised that we're, how flying was going to really influence everything. And now, of course, we've got drones that can go up and can't be seen, mm. and they can really peer and poke and, and snoop sent, around and take bombs as well. Mm. I- indeed, indeed. Mm. It's a it's a different um, thing these days. With um, and of course, with the world becoming smaller and smaller, it's possible for the younger generations, the, the surviving generations of uh, people lost in wars to actually go and visit war cemeteries. I, w- I would wonder whether all this showing of war on television would put people, most people off about joining the Army, Navy or Air Force. Would it have a de- detrimental effect on that? For the, the I, I don't think so because as you've already said, the, the nature of war is changing from actual physical people peering out of trenches mm. to Remote control. You just got to look at the, yeah, the the Middle East wars where people are sitting in offices back in uh, Command Central, wherever that might be, even on a div- different continent, and they've got the guided missiles going up, and they pinpoint exactly where they've got to poke them to. Yeah, but, but Chris, you've always also got the soldiers that are being out there on the ground, and they're being killed by um, green on green. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the friendly the, fire, friendly fire, and all this. Well, well, not only friendly fire, but the the um, people they're fighting come. In dressed as the people they're fighting with mm. and blow them all to pieces, you know. So it's really, it, it, there's still that danger, even if you're oh, on the ground, yeah. you know, there's huge Truly. danger, which we'll get onto a bit later when we start talking about the um, other part of the thing. But mm. it's probably about time for some music just to lighten oh, the scene. Li- let's lighten our things. Yeah. Here we've got Bruno Mars. What's he going to be singing? That's what I like. Hey, hey, hey. I got a condo in Manhattan. Baby girl, what's happening? So go and get to grabbing. Go pop a foam pad, pop, pop it for me. Turn around and drop it for a pad, drop it for me. I'll rent a beach house in my Melbourne's lovable radio station, Joy. 94.9. You're with Been There, Done That with Gordon, Phil and Chris. Lovely to have you with us on this Anzac Day. Almost running out. Hmm. Close to midnight. Close to midnight, yes, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of tired bodies getting ready to get to bed or or (laughs) are already in bed. The defence forces have have changed Mm. along with the attitude in the general society towards us as a a, uh, respectable, recognisable friend of the family. Mm. Mm. But we had been seen as corruptible. Oh, and corrupted. Oh, and the enemy could try and out us and we would do anything they say to stop them. I believe it was a theory. I think that was if you were a spy. No, 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 no. Well, I was going to be a spy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, what you were getting at, Phil, is the fact that if we had actually revealed that we were gay and we were in the armed forces, then we were the weak link in the chain because other people might recognise this and then hold our sexuality against us. And oh, I us, hope they did. And make us do things we shouldn't you be doing. dirty, dirty man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, um, there was a hell of a fight to get the... Um, Australian Defence Forces to accept the fact that they had um, gay and lesbian soldiers, sailors it, and airmen. It was you know. a paranoia way beyond just homophobia, that wasn't it? It, but it seemed to be in, in all forces, although the, the, I, you have to admit that the Dutch force have had gay um, members since about the 70s or something rather. They, they had 
gay people in their forces for years, and yet we sort of seem to be following the American line once again that you couldn't have just denial, that, or just denial all the time that they're not there. But you've got to remember that over the history, when, when there's been anybody in defence forces, there would have had to have been a lot of gay or lesbian people. The lesbians didn't get to fight um, until the Second World War when the when the um, everything opened up to them. But it was because they they needed the the women power as well as the manpower to do things. They had the women's land army and all the rest of it. But in the First World War, during the First World War, it would have been totally, totally, utterly um, looked down upon. Although, um, no, in English society, it was recognised and it was accepted to a certain extent, uh, so long as someone else was doing it. Um, and if they're upper crust, well, they could get away with it. Oh yes, I and, suppose. You know, yeah. I, th- I think there was a certain degree of, of uh, tolerance, should I put it that way? Mm. Tolerance. Mm. Okay, that's just part of nature. Well, it was. It is bloody part of well, nature. Well, we are part of nature. I mean, yeah, so we're, that's it. We're, we're all supposed to be God's children. So if we're supposed to be God's children, we're made in the image of God. So God must be gay as well. Yeah. But the 40s and the 50s, like the, the baby boomers and everything... That was a very binary world. Yeah. Oh, yes. And yes. there were boys and there were girls, and the boys no. did this and the girls did that. Yeah. And there was no, no well, crossover even. Well, I came out in the 50s, so there was no worry about that, you know. Yes, but you knew the extent of laws of that time. Didn't. And, well... No, I didn't. I was just... I was 14, and I... You know, I came out to my oh, parents. The age of innocence. Oh, well, no, I, just said, I can hear it now. I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, as I think everybody knows I wanted to be a ballet dancer. And my father said, everybody will call you a sissy. I said, I am. So what? Oh, good. And they just said, okay. See, that puts a hole in the argument when no, you confront it you face to face. Yeah, face. I just... Billy Elliot to totally, all over again. Totally honest and be, and that's the only way to be. But it, uh, it wasn't until I came over to live over here that I realised about the... Because um, I lived in the country in WA, you know, and it was well, it was country in those days. But when I came over here, living in the city, it was more anonymous, so you could do what you mm. wanted to do, you know. But but we lived a great life in the fifties and sixties. God help us, it's, nothing's well, changed. No, well, but, in, in nineteen ninety two, the the laws in Australia still made homosexuality as broadly as loosely defined as it was at that stage. Made it. Illegal. But see, Robert Ray was the defence minister in June 1992, and he said that homosexuality should be made st- still be kept as a an illegal um, thing in the army. But then, but in November of the same year, Paul Keating said, "Okay, we're going to change that. We're going to make it the fact that they can ha- be gay and be in the forces." Yeah, which and, was and Paul Keating was prime minister mm, at that stage, right, yes, yes. and uh, Labor was in, in power. But, but the opposite. That was my point, though, is that you can change the policy, but are you, when do you actually change the mindset? I think that's over. Uh, that builds up, Philip, over a period of time when people get used to the fact that you've got people like. See, I know you're going to say it's generational, but what you're really saying is you've got to wait for the bigots to die. Well, <laughs> sort of, but you, but but by being open about it, you can change people's minds to the fact that you know, even like in today's society now, we're we're fighting for uh, equal marriage. And you saw a sign this morning, Phil, uh, with with yeah, the, the soldier uh, saying we've got the equal right to go and fight, but we don't have the equal right to marry. So. Yeah, this is right. Yeah, yeah. But so. I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm trying not to be cynical. I think at the moment we we're bringing out the 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 straight people who really don't mind us at all mm. never had a problem with us they can now speak 
publicly and be yes. supportive. Yes. There's still that core oh, because you've got to ultra-religious, remember, whatever you want to call them. Even back then, I think, we, uh, we, they. when did we pass the law here in Victoria to make um, being gay not a non-crime? Because that, that had to be passed through the state parliament. I have a vague feeling it was 1980 something, wasn't it? It's fairly recent. Yeah, I think it was 1984 or something. 84 mate, rings a bell for it me. It rings yeah. a bell for me, yeah. But, it, 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 but the thing is that when John Howard became Prime Minister in 2003, in 2003 he said that he wouldn't give any benefits to the gay personnel. Uh, as, uh, person's partner, you yeah. know. They where they were where they, See, they we've to, still got these blockheads, yeah, who are homophobic bigots, whether they can say it themselves yeah. or not. He couldn't change the law to make it illegal to to have um, gay people in the forces because they were already in there. Yeah, so he couldn't stop it, but, but he, but he made was, it very difficult for them. But if there was uh, two guys, weren't one of them was a soldier, then the spouse was a civilian in effect, mm. and the, they and Howard said, "Well, we're not going to give you a married quarters, no. a place." Where you two guys can go in and well, the same with the women with the well yeah it was but, the same with both know, that was his attitude oh yeah, yeah. his blinkered mm. attitude about everything at that but stage joy, of the game. when joy was starting out didn't they ask a certain liberal premier for some funding and his response was I'm not going to give any money to a bunch of poop that could have been probably right too that probably could well be. I'm told that was Mr Kennett oh that'd be right. oh well you've seen how he's changed his mind well, you over see that's I think yeah, and in changing is. your mind and trying to make up for it spend time with Beyond Blue which because he would have sent a lot of people into there yeah. see, but we've also well, we've also we've been reading about the in the First World War how one gentleman was writing to his his, his lover. lover. Uh, and the soldier was writing to his lover and it was just, just signed G, how, you know, and all the rest of it. And they were writing backwards and forwards to one another, just signing each other's letter, the letter G. And the fellow that got hold of the letters eventually, um, he wondered who this was and he found out that it was, it was Gareth writing to Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, you weren't the Gordon. I wasn't the Gordon. No. No. <laughs> Not back in 1914, I wasn't. Well, I can't know this. <laughs> no, but it's interesting that in, within the Australian Defence Forces, there is a gay and lesbian organisation. Of course there is, there's several. There are, yes. But there is, they're, they're recognised. And uh, for today, at the war memorials of the Defence Forces Gay and Lesbian Sorry, I, there's a huge acronym here, and I can't get my tongue around <laughs> it. Too many letters. Uh, but the the LGBTI Service Rainbow Group were collecting money for rainbow wreaths to be laid at the cenotaphs today. Mm. Oh, right. That is absolutely brilliant. That in fact now we're allowed to do that. We as a gay community, whereas the first time it was attempted, Mr. Bruce Ruxton of the RSL, he and only the arseholes. Yes, he he just would not let them put down. They wanted to lay a wreath for all the soldiers, all the the boys and girls who had died who are um, same sex. Mr. Attractive. Ruxton was a pure classic homophobe. He was literally scared he just of gay said, people. He made the announcement there were no gay people in the army when he was <laughs> in the army. <laughs> well, and there were none I, in Queensland either. Yeah, but but a friend of mine who happened to be a, a very dear friend, he was uh, got to the rank of major, I think, during the in the army. But he was told the story about when he was up in Papua New Guinea, and you know, he said it was on every night. He said just just didn't worry about it. They all had boyfriends and their best friends and all the rest of it. So yeah, and even my dad, who was a prisoner of war. 
I'm sure that's why when I told him I was gay, he didn't worry about it because he knew that men had relationships. They, yeah. you, you had friendships like that. I think yeah. that's why. I think that's why. Well, there is a, a group in UK that is putting together now the story of gay soldiers in from Britain mm-hmm. from World War Two, and there is a similar form of uh, history uh, collection here in Australia. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these stories, as uh, relayed in that letter that you were quoting, Gordon, are, are coming out. And, and as you said, some of the, the officers actually recognised that uh, it was comforting to have expressions of friendliness between the troops. It wasn't corrupting the morals or the fighting effort. Yeah, but one, of the, one of the guys that was writing a letter, he was saying how they used to go down to the mangrove swamps. Yeah. And do it, but the, and some, well, there was some sergeant major who got very stroppy about it and he was going to report him and all the rest, but the commanding officer said no, he just threw it out. He said because it's, it's a good for the morale of the troops. Yeah. To have this going on, you know, this, this, yeah, this outlet. This, this uh, sexual outlet. So as the man that was writing the letter said, they were telling the story was that a lot of the people that came there were straight and enjoyed it. Yeah. So. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we're, as I said, we, we're bigger than Rotary. We are. Uh, you're on Joy 94.9, been there, done that. Phil, Chris and Gordon, be, and time for a little bit of music. Let's see, who have we got? I don't know. Oh, oh. Eliza Doolittle. This Joy program has a podcast and you can subscribe to it at joy.org.au. You're with Gordon, Phil and Chris. Been there, done that. Joy 94.9. Thanks for being with us. And yes, we do have a podcast and we do have a podcaster. Part of our team is Julia. Julia. And she does a marvellous job with her scissors, uh, electronic scissors, mm-hmm. cutting out bits and pieces and putting together a nice 40-minute or so package that we then put on the Joy webpage. It's like concentrated us <laughs> without the music and the ads. <laughs> oh, my goodness and, me. And I'm going to say good morning, good afternoon, good night. I forget where I am. Good, good night evening. to Nina. Well, she did say that she listened to the early morning show, didn't yes, she? Yes, because we repeated at 5 o'clock Wednesday morning. That's right. And she's uh, she was saying she listened to it from 5.30 to the end, and then she went onto the podcast when it was up and listened to the bit that she missed. And we've now got a new photo on the web page. Yes, we have. Cupcake. No. Oh. No, no. no. Cupcake's not on air. It's us. Our mugshots. Oh, are they? Yes. Not much better than the previous one, sorry. but (laughs) I think Cupcake would have looked prettier. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Hello, Nina. Hello, Cupcake. And Nina and Cupcake communicate with us via email at beanthere at joy.org.au. Yes. And anybody can. Yeah. That's fine. We'll read anything. (laughs) Now, we've been talking about Anzac Day, which was just passed, where we're just about finished. Yes, yes. another fifteen minutes. Another fifteen or so. minutes or so. Um, but the thing that the worst part about the um, wars is the uh, effect it has on the participants. And so many of people come away from wars with injuries and what have you, but they also come back with what is now called post-traumatic stress disorder. 
it's, which is a pretty horrible thing. It's like, lo- well, it's damage to your brain mm. as much as other forms of war injuries is damage to the, the body. Yes, yes. But this is the the brain gets scrambled and shocked out of existence sometimes. That's right. But you see, the, with, with people, if s- some people have come back with limbs missing or something rather, and that's perfectly obvious. A, a physical that's injury. Physical injury. Mm. But they don't get the thing that's going on in a person's brain. You, you don't get a little you red light on you your forehead. You don't have a red light blinking on your forehead, no. If no. you're old enough, you might remember a film called The Clockwork Orange. Oh, I remember Clockwork Orange. And the visual attack mm. that the main character was given yes. to try and break him. Yes. Well, that same images have been exposed to the soldiers first hand yes that's right not just projected on a screen yeah, yeah, yeah. so they've been literally through hell mm. they've in some cases had to kill mm-hmm. they've seen mm. dead bodies mm-hmm. you can't unthink these uh, things you can't see, unremember them but this this sort of thing goes right back to almost every war that's ever been fought in the first world war when the people came back from the trenches they had this um post-traumatic stress disorder but nobody knew what it was they knew that they were and they, the, a lot of these people they finished up homeless and and mm. and everything like this and of course then uh, then they get to the second world war and the same thing happened yeah. but the, at the end of the first world war the commonwealth government set up the commonwealth rehabilitation service that's right yes to try and address to these mean. people who were disturbed well they built the uh, hospitals didn't they like we've got the one out repat hospitals Mm. yes yeah repatriation yeah but 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 just on a a rather sour note that service was shut down by this current government yes that's right oh no we ran out of money no we ran out of old soldiers you see well see i was actually getting some benefit from that service (sighs) you didn't have to be a soldier anymore Mm-hmm. But it was an expense. But yes. a, a, one, of the, one of the people that's doing a hell of a lot for PTSD is Ben Quilty, the artist. He's he won the Archibald Prize in 2011, I think it was. Uh-huh. And he's he he was a war artist who went to Afghanistan, I think it was. And they they had, did a report on him on the ABC on one of the shows and how he was painting the what was happening there because they've always had a war artist. If you go to the War Memorial up in Canberra, there's all the great paintings huge oil colors of battlefields you know and ben quilty was up there and he when he came back he also did a lot of portraits of men who had been there and 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 some of these men also had ptsd and And ben quilty really fought for them and let's not forget that these men because they are men by this stage Mm. they are still in their early 20s that's right they're not very old they're older than they're the the younger than most of us listening and 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 you don't get uh, I've, i've not read very much about women with ptsd because i don't know whether women are actually out on that sort of that basic front line or whatever you know well, but but i know the women are in there oh, but they certainly would have come across it yeah if they're in the hospitals yes, i'm sure yeah yeah if but they're it, in the, the ambulance but, services collecting the people it really really makes me mad when you consider that the the government send these troops to these places where we've got no involvement in it whatsoever but to appease the people who are helping us to help mm. them to help you to help whatever they send them off there but when they bring these guys back home again they do absolutely bugger off for these men yeah they, they don't 
just wipe their memory. They, you, you can't, mm, you can't reset their, their memory it's like bank. like men in black. That's mm. right. Where they mm. expose the public to all these aliens. They say, well, we can't have you remembering that. They just go <laughs> zip lash with this device <laughs> and there goes their memory. But I t- wow. I tell you what, someone who does do a hell of a lot of work for PTSD people and maimed soldiers is Prince Harry. Yeah, well, of course, he has done what we are often told to, and that is don't bottle it up. Mm. He has for 20 years, Mm. and other people have bottled up whatever's bugging them, and it's like a fart, apparently. Let it go. It's a time bomb. It is. I can speak firsthand that I bottled up a situation purely because I didn't want to deal with it. It was a conscious decision, Mm. and I thought that's how I dealt with it. And it would have been 20 years later. It just came back. Came back to bite you on the bum. And, well, it's... It's in the old days, it would have been called a mental breakdown. Mm. Yeah. But it's basically where depression takes over and you just cannot function. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Harry started the Invictus thing well, as well, which well, is great. Yes. Because that's for the maimed soldiers and, and people with PTSD. And he takes them on sporting things and they've got sports they've got everything takes them into onto um, safaris he t- took some of them up to the arctic circle yeah at one stage you know and because and, and he was in the armed forces yeah, himself yeah. but isn't that interesting that he has created a connection hmm. be with his fellow troops hmm. uh, beyond the actual uh, war environment yep. uh, the post-war environment but the invictus games is his version of the warrior games that uh, exist in the USA. And in 2013, uh, Prince Harry was there in the USA and he saw the power of how sport could help the physically, psychologically and socially damaged returnees from war. And his mind was made up, apparently. London would host the, the inaugural 2014 Invictus Games as an international sporting event for wounded, injured and sick service personnel. And in, the word Invictus actually means unconquered. So despite the fact that they've come back less than 100% in any measure... They're unconquered. They are un- unconquered. And it gives them a focus. Yeah. They, they had a mission as troops to do what they were told to do mm-hmm. and kill what they were told to kill and all the things that go along with that. Then they come home and there's nothing to do. That's right. That yeah. can't be healthy. It isn't mm. healthy, no. no. Last November, Prince Harry announced that uh, the fourth Invictus Games had been awarded to Sydney. Mm. When are they going to be? Uh, October 2018. Oh, right, next year. Oh, and over good. 500 competitors will be taking place, uh, taking part. Uh, these are from 17 nations. And the sports that they'll be sporting in uh, allows for wheelchair games, mm-hmm. for runners to have prosthetic limbs, uh, archery, the, all, all the, the famous sports of competition, but even they're all winners because despite whatever game they're playing, they are there and they are contributing. You better check no. the location again because the Olympics were awarded to Sydney. Sydney, oh, really? So if these are in Sydney, it might be somewhere completely different. <laughs> no, it's on the uh, Olympic Park and in the, on, okay. on the harbour. Because I've been to Sydney. <laughs> Uh, and yes, so uh, that's what uh, Prince Harry has done. And that and it's, it's and wonderful. If, and part of the resolution of his own devils in his brain, he recently came out saying that he had problems resolving the situation of his mother's death. Well, wouldn't you? And if you're exactly, in his position? But he's taken 20 years. I yeah, mean, his yeah. society 
didn't allow him to cry at the funeral yeah, well, or do anything like that. Stiff that, up a lip, when you stiff that, up your bum. See that poor little boy standing yeah. there at, at, at the funeral of his mother. You know, I yeah. think, oh, my God. They, they, once upon a time, children were never allowed to go to them, but I guess it's the, the British um, stiff up a lip thing coming through again. But it didn't. Uh, it took 20 years for Harry to sort of realise what was wrong, and he, mm. he, he went through hell, apparently, with the um, with the way he, he worked it out so mm. good on him so yeah. there you are well thanks harry for that thanks for the invictus games and thanks for uh, helping those with ps ptsd ptsd which of course isn't always uh reserved for people oh, no. going to war it can happen in ordinary well we were told as situations. residents of san francisco after the 1989 earthquake yeah. that there was a degree of PTSD and what they called survivor guilt. Yeah. Because mm. 65 people lost their lives and there were 20 million people in the, the Bay Area and we all felt the quake. Yeah. And it affected a lot of people oh, quite severely. Oh, psychologically, yes, of yeah. course it would. Yeah, because well, I lost three goldfish personally. Oh. <laughs> and the tank. And a oh, tank. And, and that water and, everywhere. All and carpet. the sheepskin that landed on. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. You're with Chris. Phil and Gordon been there, done that. We've got Tegan and Sarah to sing for us. Stop Desire. Okay. Bringing a little joy to your life. Joy 94.9. You're with Chris Gordon and Phil. Been there, done that on Joy 94.9. Thanks for being with us. Yes, it's just about time to go to bed now because oh. of the... Um after your Anzac Day celebrations, oh, or yes. not celebrations, but remembrances. Exactly, exactly. Another event that occurred that we fought, mentioned before was a bombing which occurred on the 30th of April 1999 in London. Which is not that long ago, is it? It is not. We were remembering it because some people were killed at this bombing in this gay pub, the Admiral Duncan pub, and... It's the, we've got the timeline of what occurred, but it was basically the bombing, the results of the bombing, um, using a nail bomb carried out by a neo-Nazi David Copeland. Now, hmm. it's not very nice to have it happen to anybody, but it was even not, it was even worse that it happened to us, but not that we are immune in any way. The yeah. rainbow flag can't protect us. Doesn't protect anybody really, but... As we've seen for those poor guys in Chechnya. Yeah. In, and not only that, in, in Orlando in Florida. Oh, uh, yeah. Like that, you know. That's right. But the Copeland Hotel had a history of, of these sort of things happening to it too, going right back to the time when it was first opened. <laughs> and they were, somebody had almost did a bombing and set fire to it and the fellow was sentenced to eight years penal servitude in australia yeah thank you very much yeah so we get them all out here well we've said that the it was bombing conducted by david copeland but it was actually his third bombing he did you think he had a phobia or something well about he something? was a neo-nazi so i suppose that might have indicated a certain degree of of uh, inability well, ethnic cleansing yeah it's a popular term Oh, uh, be on the end of that tag. <laughs> mm. yeah. Well, the, the third bomb was on the 30th of April, but on the 17th of April th that particular year in Brixton, South London, he uh, had a bomb attack. And then on the 
the 24th of April uh, in Whitechapel, East London. Uh, but then on Thursday the 29th, this is the day before it actually occurred, there were certain things happening in the background. And though those previous bombings were, were actually described by the police as race hate attacks, they had issued a warning that a gay bar could potentially be the bomber's next target. And the uh, Scotland Yard, oh sorry, and another pub in the area had displayed a poster warning customers to be alert. But then some CCTV uh, from the Brixton, the 17th of April attack, was given wide publicity after an image on the suspected bomber was identified in it. And he must have seen that because he thought, well, they're closing in on me. I better uh, get the next one up and running and, and happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, he planted a, a bag with the bomb. Um, in the, the pub, in the pub. Mm. and one of the patrons there actually noticed it uh, and the, the the bomb exploded at 6.37 in a bag just as it was being investigated by the pub manager and that's when the deaths occurred but Copeland, the perpetrator, was captured by the police on the very same evening as the bombing because a work colleague of Copeland had recognised him from the previously published CCTV ah, footage right, yes. and alerted police about an hour, 20 minutes before the bomb exploded. So Copeland was found later that night once the police obtained his home address and he admitted immediately to carrying out all three bombings and was arrested. It was wrapped up and tied up fairly quickly. But among the speeches was one of the police assistant commissioners who undertook to maintain a crime scene van outside the pub to take witness statements and gather evidence until the perpetrator was actually brought to justice. And the van was to be staffed and was staffed entirely with openly gay and lesbian police officers. Well, that and would have been done so that nobody would be scared of well, coming true, forth. true, but that actually marked a turning point for the previously often tempestuous relationship between the GLBT uh, community and the Metropolitan Police. Mm. And the upshot of it all was well, that... Well, was a happy uh, ending. That, well, um, you know, happy ending. Copeland was convicted of three murders and three offences of planting bombs and given six life sentences, one for each of these offences. His uh, minimum sentence was 30 years, but recently, or a couple of years later, the, the High Court judge increased Copeland's minimum sentence to 50 years, stating this was necessary for the protection of the public. And Copeland's release will not occur until 2049 at the earliest, when he will be 73 years old. That's if he survives that long. Hmm. If he Happy does. ending. Happy ending. He's well, in the cuckoo house. Yeah. But there it just, it just, it, it's, uh, it's the point that um, we, throughout the realms of history, the GLBTI community have always been targeted if anything looks like going wrong or something is that way, you know, it's just... Uh, We're seen as an easy target. We seem And if you're a neo-Nazi, you're not a great thinker of the world anyway. No, that's true too. But at least things are getting a little bit better for us. That's, that, that's what they are improving on, on what has been a fairly dark been there done that yes. we should end up on a more optimistic note and say that life is improving for our community yeah well I'm, I'm just I, I'm still thinking that um, we're going to be getting equal marriage before much longer because I think that the government want to get it out of the way oh yeah I think they really have had enough is yeah. that punishment though oh who knows <laughs> you hear all the complaints you hear about marriage and <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. let's uh, have a little bit of good luck as we go out and hope that you'll join us next week. And we say cheery bye. Bye for now. Bye-bye. See you. See you next week. We have some good luck from Basement Jacks. Cheers. Bye. Joycast from Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.